You're listening to The Fully Occupied Show, presented by Occupier. Hey everyone, Matt from Occupier here. Thanks for tuning in. Welcome back to another episode of the Fully Occupied Podcast. If you enjoy the show, make sure you subscribe on your favorite listening platform or just shoot us a note at marketing at occupier.com. We'd love to hear your thoughts on future guests, topics you'd like to hear about, ask us any questions you have, or just say hi. Enjoy the show. Alex, welcome to the Fully Occupied Show. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Matt. Why don't you uh, give a quick introduction and background to yourself for our, for our audience? Yeah, happy to. Uh, my name's Alex, uh, currently head of real estate at Gorillas here in the U.S. Uh, my background is actually in architecture. Studied, uh, studied architecture at the New School in San Diego. Um, was really interested in the built environment at a young age. Uh, spent a lot of time kind of out of the house, you know, in cities, around cities. Um, grew up in Wilmington, Delaware, so was, was frequently going up to Philadelphia and New York and, and realized I really was fond of, you know, just the, the urban environment. So I think that's what pursued my, my interest in, in you know, going after architecture as a, as a degree. I think the, the education was, was useful, um, but I quickly realized once I got into industry that I was looking for something a little bit more exciting. And I've always had an entrepreneurial interest and um, was really focused on how I could align you know, my, my excitement for the built environment with you know, entrepreneurial uh, pursuits. And uh, so I started to look at where the intersection of these would be most plausible. Um, and this was you know, coming at the, the advent of prop tech really taking off. Um, so, you know, was able to, to move into some interesting companies, particularly Notel in London, um, and now Gorillas in, in New York. So, um, really enjoying the, the ride and the evolution of, of how uh, how I got to now. Yeah, that's cool. It came in through like a, a discipline that interested you, and you, you kind of zagged when everybody else would zig. Um, and and here you are at Gorillas. So, t- uh, describe Gorillas to us. What do you guys do? Yeah, so Gorillas is a, it's a global company really focused on getting goods to people in, in minutes or less. Um, I, I say fondly, you know, we, we really help people be more mindful of their time. We give people their time back. Um, we're giving them the opportunity to forego going to the store um, and spending more time with things that matter, right? Family or, you know, passions that they care about. So, um, you know, for a subset of consumers, that's really important. Um, you know, I think the business itself primarily exists in Europe. At the moment, the U.S. expansion started one year ago, um, so we've you know we've been active in New York City, and uh, it's been it's been an incredible ride to, to get to now. Definitely a tumultuous one with a lots of with lots of ups and downs, but you know the insights learned along the way have been just tremendously tremendously rewarding. From you know how to bring this model from Europe, who really understands what quick commerce is, um, and adapting it to the U.S. market, which you know is is aware of these types of services, but hasn't really experienced it in its full glory. Um, and that's definitely been, been a key learning for us. Why do you think that Europe was ahead of the curve on that? Was it a cultural thing? Was it less about um, convenience and more about just it was already embedded in their culture? Like how, how would you describe yeah, that? I think it's two things. I think just the, the structure of, of the urban environment there, they have very high density areas where you know, these types of services were, were more prone. Um, so, you know, the, the founder, Khan Sumer, of, of our company, grew up in Turkey, you know, where, where these, these microcosms of neighborhoods, you know, have a lot of overlap and 
the, you know, the, the sales and the environments there are highly intertwined. And you almost have these natural platforms for goods that existed there. And then adding on delivery and the ability to procure through a mobile device just happened, you know, after, you know, kind of the advent of apps and things popping up in the late 2010s. So I think it was natural that these economies, you know, in the Middle East and, you know, in Europe in general were, were more prone to adopting these faster, mm-hmm. um, just because the nature of, of how this is naturally how things happen there. So, um, you know, we saw that happen early and, and, and gorillas really took fire across, you know, in the pandemic, across Europe very quickly. You know, the pandemic was a, was a fascinating point for us because we were able to, to, to grow so quickly because the need for the service was so prevalent. Um, so I think, you know, coupled with that and Europe having just a, a pure understanding of why this service should exist, I think that's why we took foothold in, in Europe first and have expanded rapidly across across the countries there. Yeah, it's an interesting point you brought up about like how the cities are designed, like having an architecture background and just like a love for urban spaces, how would you rate American cities in terms of um, mobility for your, your delivery guys? Because I live in Boston and um, I mean, the city was never designed for a bicycle. So you have scooter guys delivering stuff like all over the place. They're like on the sidewalks, they're going down wrong yeah. one-way streets the wrong way. Then you got bikers. Of course, you got cars everywhere. Like how are American cities like adopting or adapting to this like new concept of like on-time delivery? So I think it's a, it's a very complex uh, subject. I think each city has its own approach to it. Um, I think we saw, you know, around 2015, the advent of, of this, the, the scooters being introduced to the cities, and you had a local, you had local bodies of government pushing back, and you know, and I think now in San Francisco, there's two, there's two companies that can exist, and I think there's like a happy medium of like these services are desired by consumers. The cities must understand that you know this is a future of mobility. How can we blend this with the existing infrastructure at the same time? Start to upgrade the existing infrastructure to support these new types of things such as you know EV charging um, parking spaces for these scooters um, and and lanes may be dedicated for you know last mile fulfillment so um, the long the long story short of that is I think there's a lot of work to be done you know at the local level with with multiple municipalities and it's happening I think New York City is pushing a lot of great efforts to increase bike lanes across the city which is which is needed for sure i think we'll we'll need to think about how the blending of this commercial last mile fulfillment you know intervenes with the the recreational cyclist for example like i I ride my bike quite regularly through new york and it 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 is very busy with just the sheer amount of delivery couriers on the streets so um i don't think it's going to be reversed i think so it's a matter of how can we safely redesign the existing infrastructure to support it um, and you're seeing some some really great things come out of, you know, both Europe and and North America in, in how to address this. And I think a lot of it is kind of giving more of this public space back to to the community and maybe stripping back some of the streets that have previously been dedicated to traditional means of transportation like cars and trucks. So. Yeah, no, it's, I mean it's definitely happening in my city. I mean, you're seeing previously two lane roads uh, being cut down to one lane and then putting a big bike lane in and then maybe like a dedicated bus lane or something like that. So 
it's not dominated by cars all the time. I could go on about this all the time because I ride my bike around Boston all the time as well. And I'm just like, you know, you just get frustrated when you're riding. Like, why is the street designed like this? Um, but yeah, we'll change, we'll change off that topic. Um, uh, let's talk a little bit about um, real estate. So you're the head of expansion for real estate in the, in, in the U.S. Um, New York City is your first location. Like, talk a little bit about how the company um, put together a strategy for locating your micro warehouses or your fulfillment centers or whatever, your stores. Like, talk a little bit about your real estate portfolio, kind of the, the thesis behind how you guys determine where to locate and stuff like that. Sure. So starting in 2020, this is when the business was founded, literally right in the middle of the pandemic, um, there was just a natural pool from consumers wanting quick commerce in Berlin. So upon that growth, we were able to just open up stores all in these urban dense environments. So primarily, as I, as I discussed previously, that community and that group of people were, were more prone to use this type of service and need it, uh, particularly during the pandemic. So we saw immediate traction when we were putting stores in you know, highly dense, young urban environments, right? So Berlin took off, um, we quickly moved into France, to Paris, and then the US expansion, you know, later in 2021, um, the obvious was to look at the same type of model, which was density, young urban environments where, you know, we can run these efficient local stores. Um, so New York City was, was a natural one, definitely the hardest one to begin in, just given the, the complexities of, you know, everything here with regards to transportation, labor, government, um, you know, just navigating anything in New York is, is, a, is, a, is a fun task. So, you know, I think the way we looked at it, particularly here, um, you know, the cost structure between Manhattan and, and Berlin is, is far different. So, you know, we position the stores to be not necessarily on the high street, but, you know, let's say in, a, in a, an alley or in an off street that maybe doesn't have as desirable foot traffic, but is still proximate to the, the core density that we were looking for. And, and that was helpful in just getting us into this market. I think we were able to experience some you know, significant deals with, with COVID coming off the back of that um, when we first entered here. So you know, bringing some new business and opportunities to these, to these neighborhoods that were pretty battered. You know, if you look at Midtown in 2021, you know, it's still coming back, but it's slow. Um, so I think you know, we were able to interject some new commerce and opportunity and, and most importantly, employment opportunities for, for folks that, um, that you know, maintain these stores. So um, I'd say primarily we look at density, um, you know, demographics, particularly between the age of 18 and 39 are most common you know, users cohorts between the use of this platform. Um, and you know, I think as, that, as we evolve, you know, I'm, I'm very interested in you know, contrarian thinking around real estate strategy. You know, we saw in New York particularly, there was five other competitors and you know, we were all kind of more or less in the same area and that was because we were all following a similar density strategy. But I think if we start to look at this model you know, at, the, at the unit level, so driving efficiency at the store and offering different levels of service outside of that store. So for example, you, know, you have quick commerce, so maybe that's everything you know, 30 minutes and under, and then you have like same day delivery. Those are two services that you could offer within this hub and ultimately start to expand the reach of the hub. Um, so I think as we look at other cities, I will you know, continue to look at you know, density as a driving factor for some of these locations, but also if we have the efficiency at the store level from a labor perspective to support a wider delivery range because we have you know, cargo bikes, for example, 
um, and the ability to you know, batch more orders, then perhaps we look at you know, areas that maybe have less density. So um, those are models that we're continuously running as we think about expansion in 2022 and 2023. And uh, I think it's just exciting because the US consumer particularly is still you know, finding their interest in, in this and, and really establishing the behaviors around quick commerce. Um, you know, we're all familiar with you know, the big platforms that exist and I think they've done a great job of getting people ordering goods and groceries online. Um, but now it's, it's, it's really about the frequency and the assortment you know, and the, the different types of experiences that you can drive um, you know, from these types of quick commerce services. So um, I think a, a big piece outside of you know, just density is, is we also look at you know, areas where you know, food density you know, is, is maybe not correlated as, as you would think. So, you know, if there's an opportunity to be in a neighborhood where there is uh, less grocery stores, you know, that's an opportunity for us to bring a unique assortment and a service that is likely needed. So we do look opportunistically at those types of areas too. Um, and, you know, I think it's a multitude of factors, but that's generally an outline. Yeah, so talk a little bit about the actual store itself. Or, or <clears throat> do you guys accept people walking in and buying things or are you 100% delivering? Yeah, so when we started in the pandemic, you know, the, the model was really focused around, you know, this, this they call it a dark store effectively where it's, yep. it's pure operations. Um, I think given, given our transformation, the business has really grown into really being an everything platform, right? And, and that platform accommodates people walking in the store. And, you know, this, this is something we've had to balance delicately because when we started you know, the acquisition strategy, we weren't taking the stores thinking, you know, people were going to be walking through them. So a lot of it was designed to be, you know, purely operational. So, you know, what we've done is really instituted this front of house, back of house mix, you know, where we have an efficiency at the front, which allows commerce to happen in store, purchasing, discovery of product, interaction between staff and customer. And then in the back of the house, you have a, an efficient, you know, MFC, which is called Micro Fulfillment Center, which essentially is, is running goods, you know, between different customers in our network um, that I've ordered. So I think it's a, I think personally it's the future of, of retail brick and mortar in this omni-channel quick commerce space. There has to be a space that people can come in and, and see, you know, what these products are, who these people are in their neighborhood and interact with them. And, and personally, I think it's the most genuine way to be a part of the the fabric of this community, not to be just a, a, you know, a shuttered storefront with boxes going in and out. It's not, um, you know, I don't think that's an efficient way to operate within these neighborhoods. So we're excited about what we've done in New York City. We've really opened up our doors to consumers and allowed them to come in and, and purchase and, and, and see the, the riders that are fulfilling their orders and interact and, you know, discover new products through that. Um, it's an evolving, it's an evolving storefront for us. So, you know, we're, con we're consistently um, trying new things. We're going to be launching our uh, NoHo store very soon, which is, is going to be right near NYU. So excited to try some new things and experiment with, with how we think about the front of house. But um, that's generally how the store works. Yeah, uh, it tracks with a lot of the conversations that we've been having with other retailers um, that you're no longer, if you're, if you're selling goods, you're no longer just a store or a website. You have to be everything. Um, yeah. And you guys have even more because you have the ability to actually fulfill orders like in, in minutes um, via delivery. But I would imagine, I personally, 
I'm one of these people that just my on my online shopping behavior is I'll search for something, I'll find it, but I just never want to pull the trigger on it without like going to the store and like seeing it and touching it and feeling it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and and my wife is totally opposite. She'll just order a ton of stuff to the house, try it on, and if she doesn't like it, just send it back. It's like you have all of these different buying behaviors. So if you could actually capture as many of those as possible with an experience, then to me, that seems like the future of retail. Like it's probably the most sustainable way to stay in business if you can actually touch each one of those types of customers. Yeah, it's a great point. And you know, we, we are experimenting with, with again, I, I go back to these stores being omni-channel opportunities. You know, we, we do, you know, we take UPS packages. We can pick, we can pick up packages from customers' homes, right, if they don't want to go to the store and return it. So it's really becoming a destination for any type of online commerce is, is interesting as well. We did a partnership with Thousand Fell to donate, you know, um, customers could donate their clothes that they wanted to, you know, hand in and things. So we, we were picking up clothes and bringing it back and then recycling them. So I think, uh, you know, reverse logistics is a big piece for us and how we think about you know, the evolution of our stores, not only being a staple in the neighborhood, but also being a destination for, you know, last mile fulfillment and, and recycling and sustainability. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. I mean, there's so many ways you could take this. Um, so you mentioned your five competitors when you entered into New York. Mm-hmm. I don't know how many of them still are existing and operating. I, I know it's been a tough stretch over the last quarter or so for, uh, you know, companies that have, you know, entered this market like how have you guys survived and like what do you look how do you look at um you know strategy going forward um just to maintain you know the the momentum that you have so yeah i think primarily it starts with the people you know i think um when we when we saw the markets kind of changing around you know particularly how they viewed our space which was a high growth late you know growth late stage equity company growth equity company, like, you know, we immediately realized that, you know, there'll have to be some efficiencies driven at the store level. Um, and, you know, so that really became the focus effectively. So we, we started with the people and making sure that um, everyone was aware of, of why these efficiencies were important to, you know, keep the business going. So uh, it was really all hands on deck to make sure that, you know, staffing was, was being done um, effectively assortment, right? So the management of, of our products, if we don't have something, you know, customers could, could go to another platform very quickly. So making sure your, your, your goods are, you know, reflective of the demand that we're seeing on the platform. Um, and obviously just looking at stores and the performance at a local level, you know, these stores are really economies of themselves. Each, each one performs in, in different ways. So you know, ones that were strong, we, we leaned into those and really tried to understand what's good about them. How are they driving efficiencies at the, you know, the order level? They're stacking certain orders, the way that they're working within the store, right? A lot of teams in the stores were taking on multiple responsibilities, which was driving even further efficiency. So, you know, the people at Gorillas have done an incredible job of standing up to the task of, you know, really getting the business in a place to be efficient. Um, that goes at the store level and the corporate level, all of us have not shied away from, you know, the challenges that we face. So I think that's allowed us to lean into the kind of refocusing of, of the unit economics and getting the business um, in a sustainable path. So, and that's natural, right? Like in these kind of new markets, you have to grow very fast, but you have to 
you know, hone it in at some point, really focus on the efficiency. So right now we're in that efficiency driving phase and we're seeing incredible results of, you know, getting these stores to profitability and, and you know, a good piece of these stores are already tracking very well in that direction. And it's, it's just very exciting to see how quickly the tides have turned and, you know, on the team level to be focused and excited about, you know, tasks that necessarily aren't as exciting and sexy as expansion and growing across all these cities. Um, I think a lot of us joined at the point where it was like, you know, 2021, we were just, we couldn't be stopped. We were going to take over the world. And I think for those same folks to change their attitude and uh, be excited to, you know, drive efficiency at the local store level and not so much expansion and, and still being excited about it is, 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 is great. And it has allowed us to do that in, in an effective way. So, yeah. 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 I mean, it's, it's a very interesting point that in that market, especially when it exploded, like you got it, it's like a land grab, you got to expand really yeah. fast, but you're right. At some point you got to make sure the foundation is stable enough to kind of sustain it going forward. Um, and then hopefully you guys will emerge as the, the absolute leader in the space and, yeah. you know, play with all the big boys. Um, one thing you brought up was like figuring out all of how to make these efficiencies. Like how do you, what tools do you use to, to like look at all of the, there must be a ton of data that you guys have to like track in order to measure the health of a store, right? It's not, mm -hmm. um, forget about the real estate data, but like just inventory and like who's buying what and how are people bundling orders and all of these things. Do you, have you built proprietary technology for that or do you guys use um, off the shelf software? Yeah, I mean, there's, it, it depends. Um, it's a very complex business because you have kind of multiple functions, right? You have the, the supply chain piece, which is getting goods into the store. Um, you have the management of that inventory in the store, you know, warehouse management system. Um, for, for the warehouse management system and the supply chain piece, we're using off-the-shelf technologies that are, you know, leaders in the field for this stuff. Um, so that's, that's been pretty effective in allowing us to get up and running. Um, I would say in the management of performance, that's a lot of proprietary tooling that's been built, you know, with respect to um, just maintaining the, the KPIs of these stores and being able to look at and measure and, and manage these stores from a, a purely data-centric point of view. We've built incredible dashboards um, on the performance and planning side to really see details around, um, you know, these stores and how they're performing. I think on top of that, the delivery in the last mile piece is something that's continuously evolving. We, we've had some really great tools in the beginning to just be able to show, you know, approximations of delivery times and stacking these orders. We acquired a company in, in France called Fridge Tea, which gave us even more capabilities to optimize deliveries. Um, so I think it's, you know, a multitude of off-the-shelf, in-house proprietary stuff, some of the acquisition stuff, you know, kind of a mixture of things um, on the, the analytics side. but. Um, you know, just because you have so many different pieces of the business running, it's it's just making sure that all of them are speaking together. And I think, you know, big query and, and being able to really manage the the data piece of it really happens and allows us to grow and, and, and analyze it in a much more effective way. Yeah, totally. Um, cool. Let's, uh, let's hit our rapid fire questions here for our final segment uh, with Alex. Um, you're gonna get a minute to answer each question. Sounds use good. All of, use all of it or use five seconds. Um, some of them are pretty easy, but uh, question number one. Uh, what was your favorite childhood TV show? 
This is going to basically indicate to everybody how old you are, but that's okay. <laughs> exactly. Well, uh, yeah, it was Hey Arnold. Um, it's kind of funny. Uh, I, I love that show growing up. It was, it was, uh, that'll date me, but effectively, you know, these, these kids running around cities, living in New York, um, it was dreamy. And uh, now I'm here now, not running around as much, uh, but, you know, glad to, be, glad to be living in the city. I think that was a, a good foray of uh, what was to come in the future for me. Cool. Question two. If you could travel anywhere in the world, like right now, like as of today, where would it where would it be? I was fortunate to go to Hawaii already this year, and I would definitely hop on a plane and go right back. <laughs> it's a it's a tremendous state and a beautiful a beautiful place in general. Um, you know, I like to surf and very active, so I think for me, um, I would happily happily return there for a brief period of time. Cool. Question three, probably a segue. So, what's your favorite hobby or interest? Uh, it's definitely cycling. Spent a lot of my weekends uh, riding riding my road bike pretty far. So, <laughs> yeah, what's your have you have you hit a hundred miles? Uh, have you done a century ride yet this this summer? Yeah, actually uh, Sunday. <laughs> nice. Sunday. Yeah. Nice. I'm still working up to that. Um, uh, what is your one guilty pleasure? Question number four. Had to think about this one, um, but then it was pretty obvious. Um, big fan of. Just oatmeal cookies. That's that's the go-to when I need a need a little snack. Um, find myself some oatmeal cookies from Trader Joe's. That's, that's Trader Joe's. Cookie. That's your go-to. Yeah. Nice. I was gonna say you should be just buying buying those on the Gorillas app. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes we don't have oatmeal cookies, which is frustrating. I'm I'm constantly pinging my supply chain team about it, but yeah, fill, fill up the shelves with the oatmeal cookies. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right. This is our standard question that we ask everybody. Who who are two people that think would be good guests for our show so I thought about this I think um, I think a lot of your guests have been correct me if I'm wrong mostly from North America but I'm interested in maybe mixing it up here and, and recommending you speak to Freddie Fjord he's a good friend of mine who started a company called patch places in the UK um, he's really working on a new model of uh, let's call it co-working for the suburbs and really reinventing the high street in London and uh, in the suburbs of London rather and uh, he's just an incredible Incredible person in general um, has has incredible opinions of you know where co-working and, and the space in general is moving and I think he would be he would be a very interesting guest to bring on and uh, would would most likely love to do it as well. Cool. Uh, and then one one other is uh, Christelle Rohat. So she's she's a good friend. She's uh, just found she's been working on this company called Cody, um, which is a flex office platform um, based out of San Francisco. They also do work in in uh, New York City. She's really trying to reinvent the way that uh, landlords and owners, you know, offer flex amenities within their buildings. So, um, again, a leader in, in this very innovative space. I think someone who has some really great perspectives and vision of where office in general is, is going. And I think is very relevant to, to what you do at Occupier. So, um, happy to happy to introduce you to both of them. Awesome. We would definitely hit you up on that. Alex, thanks so much for joining the show. This has been an awesome, uh, insightful conversation. We'll uh, be sure to track your progress. If people wanted to find you and Gorillas, like how would they do that? Yeah, so it's uh, Gorillas. If you go on the Apple Store, you know we're Gorillas on on Google. So Google and Apple uh, Apple Store. So you just get the app there. Um, I'm on Twitter, Alex Angeline. Follow me on Twitter. Awesome. Thanks, Alex. We'll talk cool. to you soon. Appreciate your time. Thanks, Matt. Appreciate it. All right.